This is the first podcast of Idea Dynamo. Idea Dynamo is what I call myself because I come up with all the ideas. And we're going to be talking about atypical black experiences, also known as you talk white. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And uh, my name is Samantha Pierce, and I'm joined by Ashley Soden. And tell us a little about yourself, Ashley. Sure. So I am a writer. I live in Houston, Texas. Uh, come from a very southern black family. Family is originally from South Carolina, so I can kind of share from that, and you can share from the uh, West Indian East Coast uh, <laughs> end there. Came from a kind of average-sized family, and now I'm a mom of three, married to a professor similar to yourself. Yeah, just love, love writing and love people and love God church, family, all that stuff. And myself, I am a writer, an education advocate, and special needs autism advocate. I, I come from a, a West Indian background myself and grew up in New York City, went to school in the Northeast, live in the Northeast, married a college professor as well. <laughs> also a mom of five, very busy. Yeah, we, we kind of have you know, some similar experiences, some not. Yes. And so we're, we're diving into this, this, this thing, this concept of talking white. It's something that, that I had peers say to me as I was growing up in New York mm-hmm. City, of all places. It's something yeah, right. that, you know, it, it's, it's cropping its head up again with my, my own children, you know, having their, mm-hmm. their friends were like, wait, your mom's black? <laughs> yeah. But she talks white. I'm like, really? Are people still saying that? So confusing. So confusing. Yeah. So <laughs> what do people mean? What do you think people mean when they say you talk white to to a black person, to someone who appears black? Right. Yes. If you have a highly pigmented skin and mm. you speak proper English, yeah, you're usually considered talking white. Uh, if you have a high level of vocabulary... Yeah, it, it's usually referring to that, and uh, it's it's kind of an absurd notion. <laughs> I've you know I've had the conversation with with my kids and with others. Which words are the white words? <laughs> yes, that that lead you to to believe that I talk white. There there's there is something there that people are identifying, but uh, it's not necessarily something that is connected with the 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 pigmentation of a person's skin or where they grew up or where they're from I like big words right (laughs) I do have a big vocabulary I'm not going to give them up and having someone point out call call out the fact that I have a big vocabulary I use big words I talk about things that you know other people think people who look like me or people right. who are from places that I'm from don't usually talk about. It's like, well, mm-hmm. now you've met the one person who's like me, <laughs> who exactly. does use big words like this, who does construct sentences like this, and who does talk about these topics. So yeah. you can put that stereotype to rest. Exactly. I don't know how well that goes. I don't know how well that goes over, but that's the approach I take. How about how about you? Absolutely. I mean, when you're in college and you've had all these years of education and someone's still asking you how you learned how to speak like that, 
Um, I feel like it's a bit offensive, in my opinion, even if it's just kind of a curiosity based on, you know, this is different from the, the experiences that they've had with other black people. Yeah, I still feel like, you know, logically, if I've had this much education, you shouldn't be surprised that my, I know how to speak English. Well, mm. uh, you shouldn't be surprised that my vocabulary is what it is. You know, I think some of it is a curiosity based off of people's experiences or lack lack thereof. Maybe mm-hmm. just not having been around black people. They only know the stereotypes mm-hmm. um, that they see on TV or, or whatnot. But yeah, it, it is a bit offensive to me. So I usually a friend will catch me before I can say anything because <laughs> of my face. Okay, not here. Not here. Yes. Don't do it. Not here. Um, exactly. My, my experience has typically been with peers who, who look like me or who are from the same neighborhoods that I'm from, right. that I was from growing up, were the ones saying it. I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, we're from, you know, we're going to the same school in Brooklyn. We're yeah. from the same neighborhood. Dude, we're on the subway in New York City, <laughs> right. one of the most diverse cities in the country why yeah. are you surprised why are you surprised or, yeah yeah on a college tour exactly. for minority students <laughs> exactly. dude we just took a bus a charter bus full of high school seniors to a college campus yes why are you surprised exactly and so it's 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 that uh it's that strange experience of having other black people saying gosh, you talk white. I'm like, I'm sorry. Am I a chameleon? Did my skin color suddenly change? <laughs> do my do all of my experiences suddenly mean something else because I sound right. different? Sound right. in a way that you didn't expect? And uh, it's it's always interesting. But you touch, you touch mm-hmm. on a neat, I mean, an important issue is that from, uh, even from the side of other minorities, especially Black peers, there's this pressure, I think, that sometimes felt that if you are black, you need to speak in a black, quote unquote, black type of way in order to kind of be accepted by the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's maybe kind of what they're touching on. It's like, hey, you haven't conformed. Why is that? <laughs> yes. Being my mother's child, <laughs> uh, like, uh, I, I don't do conformity. Um, right. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just can't. It's like you wait. Well, why should I? Yeah. Give me a good reason why. Yeah. Give me give me a good reason why. <laughs> what's the benefit? What's exactly. what's what's in it for me? I've read all these. I read all those books to get all that stuff into my head. Right. And I got all those big ideas. And so, yeah. Why 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 should I conform? Yeah. And that's a characteristic of myself that I recognize. And it, and I don't just apply it to that. And I apply it to everything. Well, I'm the same way. Yeah. Why should I conform? Why should I do it that way? Yes. I know you've always done it that way, but how's that working out for you? Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) What, why do I have to do it that way? Why do I have to keep doing that way? I mean, yeah. What's, what's the benefit? I think that that moves us into a conversation about implicit and explicit bias, mm-hmm. how that shapes our interactions and expectations with each other. Right. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I think, and this is going a little bit beyond speech, but, you know, I used to invite 
kids to my birthday party. I'm like, if you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. And I vividly remember having, you know, black friends and white friends and having my black friends at my own sleepover say, well, how come there's so many white kids here? Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's part of uh, my upbringing was always kind of feeling between the two worlds in a sense that, um, you know, wanting to kind of break through whatever barriers there would be racially because I didn't those didn't really exist for me as far as like Mm -hmm. who's going to be my friend and which circle I'm going to be in. But -hmm. it did exist for other people. You know, as a kid, it was very, very confusing. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I, I get it. Talking about those implicit and explicit biases that we hold you know we come with a as as we grow up and come up through through society and our our personal experiences and interactions with our families and peers those foundational experiences they kind of we tend to get you know pictures of in our heads of who's in and who's out and who are the people that we should consider to be our people and the people Mm -hmm. we should should consider to be other people and then exactly. we begin to build beliefs and feelings about those people and then we proceed through life yeah. carrying those 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 beliefs with us when when you you come across someone who doesn't who doesn't fit in mm. with those with those characteristics with those schemas as they were those those archetypes of that you've created for yourself early on in life it causes a certain amount of cognitive dissonance and you're like, right. I, don't, I don't know what to do. This is kind of uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So you get people going, you're not speaking the way that I have come to expect someone right. who perhaps looks like you mm-hmm. should speak. Wait, um, is this the you talk white thing? <laughs> I've, got, I've got a kiddo here comment commenting oh, wait right. is this the you talk white thing <laughs> parenting it's 24 7 it doesn't stop 24 7 absolutely <laughs> you know it kind of it kind of tweaks people's brains because we use these 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 schemas these these biases to help us navigate and make quick decisions quick dis- discriminations and it's mm-hmm. you know not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing initially yeah. Because, you know, that's the way you function. That's the way you process all of the information that comes at you on a, on a daily basis. We process a lot of information mm-hmm. in an instant. And, yeah, we need to have ways to be able to organize it quickly. But I think the thing that, that people don't always recognize is that sometimes those split-second decisions in how we organize information about people aren't always correct. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then, and and then we hit we hit that wall of like of of the cognitive dissonance where we're in you know the 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 split second decisions are so not correct that the the distance between the initial split second judgment and what the person is actually observing you know that distance is so great that they that they just have to comment on it. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and again, I mean sometimes. You know, there's a curiosity, and I think that we have to have dialogue. So I'm not saying that we can't have yeah. these conversations. You know, I think for the person who's always having to explain, it gets tiresome. <laughs> um, yes, it does. But at the same time, I I want to have the conversation. I mean, that's part of the reason why we're discussing this, so yes, that maybe people can stop asking the question. <laughs> Eventually, I mean, or yeah, perhaps, we, we want people to be educated. Yeah. 
or perhaps have a more constructive approach to starting a conversation. Absolutely. About, gosh, this person is completely different from the idea that I had in my head of Mm -hmm. what people like this are supposed to be like. This person is completely different. So perhaps instead of going to them and saying, you're nothing like what I typically perceive people like you to be, you know, you go and engage with this person. Hi, how are you? It's nice to meet you. Right. So one of the uh, questions, and I, we've been looking at uh, some excerpts from this book by Tori called, uh, you know, Who's Afraid of Post-Blackness? Mm-hmm. And so one, one issue that arises is the, the issue of margin, um, sorry, um, modulation, you know, changing your voice depending on who you're with, depending on the context. Is that something that you find yourself doing, Samantha? <laughs> to a certain extent, yes. And I've found, and, you know, people talk about code switching, wherein you, you switch, you, you change how you talk and your body language and your mannerisms and your, the co- colloquialisms that you choose based on your audience and how you're wanting to present yourself. And I've found myself that my, uh, I guess my primary communication style is, is nerd speak. <laughs> It's, it's nerd speak, and I find myself co- ha- constantly you know, checking the crowd to see, have I lost them? Right. Because when I get going, I get really excited, <laughs> and I forget to check in to see if folks are following me. Sure. So, I, you know, I have, I, have my ner- I, have the, I have my nerd speak. I'm like, okay, I'm not sure everybody's following me, and so I kind of translate my super technical, the super technical way that I talk. Mm-hmm. try to translate it into like less technical language so people yeah. can follow along. Absolutely. I, I don't so much switch from a language that's familiar and comfortable for one cultural group to another, unless mm-hmm. I'm talking to people that I know for certain are not right. native English speakers. Okay. So if I'm talking to, to a group of people that I know has a lot of native English speakers, I'll try to stay away from like all those quirky English terms that are mm-hmm. that that don't translate well. Right. And also from like the highly super technical words that also don't translate well. Right. But I I'll be happy to drop in and out of, you know, the the urban dialects as much as, you know, whatever I picked up when I was a kid. Exactly. And whatever I pick up from my teenagers now. <laughs> that, that's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the extent of my of my urban dialect. What I picked up as a kid in Brooklyn and Queens Mm -hmm. and the Bronx in the 80s and 90s and what I'm picking up for my kids now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, And for me, I mean, it would be definitely switching into more of a southern type dialect that my mom speaks. She always says that she she didn't doesn't speak the most proper English <laughs> that's from her her upbringing and her education certainly it's fine and she does business presentations all the time but so you know we kind of when I get on the phone my husband will say I, I sound a little different talking to my mother and uh, again it's not it's not a uh, it's more of a natural thing it's not like oh let me uh, switch my voice right now so that I can fit in with this group or that group. Um, yeah. Of course, you know, there are moments when I'm just being funny. And so I'll, I'll switch my tone of voice with different people. Again, mm-hmm. not not in order to fit in. So I think that's kind of where 
the line is drawn for me. You know, if you're if you're feeling like you have to switch your voice, um, what would be your natural voice? Not for business purposes, but for like, hey, I want to fit in with this group. I want to be more black in this context or more white in this context. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be questionable. I haven't, you know, having the experience of immigrating to the U.S., coming from a different culture, albeit an English-speaking culture, to the U.S., you know, there there's a lot of stuff to the way that I speak that is mm-hmm. totally not American. Right. From the American perspective, it's kind of weird. And I'm, right. like, I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> there's like, there's... There's no there, there's no real setting where it's it's like where it fits unless I'm talking with other people from the West Indies sure. or older Americans. Right. Like, mm, you know, people World War II age. <laughs> yeah. They get but they get the way that, that I But all of that is a part of who you are. Though. Yes. Like all of that's a part of who you are. It's not like mm-hmm. you're switching. No. You know, switching. I, I, yeah. I don't I don't switch that up. And it just comes, it just comes out. And sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, that's totally my dad that just came out of my mouth or my mom that just came out of my mouth or, oh gosh, that's my teenage daughter that just came out (laughs) of my mouth and I'm sitting in front of a congressman. Yes. Well, he's just going to have to deal with it. He's going to have to deal with it. (laughs) Because that's just me. That's, that's the way I roll. Well, whatever you get today. That's just me and deal with it. Yeah, just Uh, like for anyone else. I mean, whatever their experiences are growing up, like all of that's a part of who they are. So I don't think the modulation is a big deal unless you are like trying to purposely, you know, fit in somewhere. Yeah. And you're not being yourself. I have found really useful the idea of in situations where those implicit biases might trip you up to Mm -hmm. first point out the fact that you know there's the potential for our obvious differences or hidden differences to be a barrier to building a connection or a relationship right but being aware of pointing out that being aware of that can help us go around those differences to build connection is Mm -hmm. really helpful as well. Right. Wherein, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I know that you know that I know that you know that I know. So now that we all know, let's (laughs) move forward and and be constructive in how we, in how we build this, this relationship or frame this interaction. Right. Yeah. I mean, if the goal is understanding, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, in a situation where the goal is not understanding, well, nobody yeah. cares. <laughs> yeah, nobody cares. <laughs> and, and there are a lot of interactions where the goal is not actually interaction. The goal is something else entirely. Mm-hmm. And those interactions, yes, I, you, you approach with, with the best intentions, with the charitable interpretation of people's choices and behaviors. But at some point, it's, it's, it's going to become apparent that this interaction is not about learning, growing, partnership, or anything good. Mm-hmm. This interaction is about something else, in which case, moving right along. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Coming, coming back to the, you know, we, we've gone a little bit off field, but coming back to this concept of confronting people's discomfort when they encounter someone who doesn't quite fit their preconceived notion or their previous experience of what is mm-hmm. black, 
there are tons of people every day who have a dynamic black experience. Yes. Not necessarily atypical, but exactly dynamic, as in it's more than what you expect. Yes. It's more it's more than what shows up on TV. It's more than what's on the reality shows. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, those reality shows. It's like, wow, really? Really, guys? No. Yeah. Oh, Everything's exaggerated. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Reality shows are not about reality. Please don't watch a reality show and think that <laughs> like anything that you see in the reality show is reality. Please don't do that. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> but the Black experience in America is dynamic uh, because it encompasses people who have... Their, their ancestors, white and black, have been on this mm -hmm. continent for centuries. Right. And then there's folks like me who, uh, my white and black ancestors, we've been here for centuries too, just on a different part, uh, you know, in a different part of the Americas. And mm -hmm. we got to the U.S., you know, just a few decades ago. Right. Then you've got, you know, the black experience that is, of uh, folk who are just now coming from the African continent, that's all part of the Black experience. Right. In America, you have people from all over the socioeconomic spectrum. That's all part of the Black experience. Well, some people are just coming around to this, Samantha, believe it or not. They're just <laughs> starting yes. to wake yes. up and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in the Tory book, the whole idea of post-blackness is that it is this dynamic experience. There's 40 million ways to be black if there's 40 million different people. Um, I don't think that, you know, it's to be taken too uh, lightheartedly because I do know that some people have felt a pretty uh, heavy pressure to conform. And again, like those are things that need to be that need to be addressed. But uh, yeah, you know, there's rebels like you <laughs> who say, um, I could have told you that a long time ago. I'm not going to conform. I'm not going to be what the stereotype says I'm going to be. And I know plenty of, like you said, diverse people across socioeconomic platforms, across, you know, you know, from different communities. We don't all act the same. We don't all speak the same. So, yeah, the idea of post-Blackness uh, uh, kind of coming to be a more, um, I guess, academic term now mm -hmm. is, is a little bit humorous. But then again, I don't know. What, what do you think? I mean, th there are serious pressures to conform. I, I don't know what I think about the, t you know, the term post-blackness. I'm like, eh, it's kind of like, eh, eh. It's like, no, 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 no. It's not, <laughs> we're not post anything. Because, yeah. you know, when I look in the mirror, I'm still brown. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and so the That's idea... not going away, but, um, <laughs> and culturally speaking, yeah. there are things that, are identified with the American Black experience, at the same time, I'm adding to what is considered yeah. the American Black experience. So it is, it's, I think, more a transfor transforming the, the mindset that there is no one set thing, but the recognition that culture is dynamic. Yes. It's constantly changing. And if a culture is not ch constantly changing, evolving, and growing, it's dead. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, they, they kind of define it as uh, leaving behind, we're not leaving behind blackness, uh, but leaving behind the vision of blackness as something narrowly definable. 
um, and instead embracing every conception of Blackness as legitimate. They also describe it as a more individualized notion of Blackness, rooted but not restricted by the Black historical struggle. I mean, yep. it's, it's not rocket science. Uh, no, no, it's not. You know, it's, not. <laughs> it's more of a realization, I feel like, for, for some people in uh, mm-hmm. our country. So I was wondering if you have heard the news today about Kamala Harris out of California, who recently declared her candidacy for president in 2020. Wow, I did not hear that yet. Okay. okay. So, so, so the current buzz is about her interactions with her father. She is uh, a little bit about her background. Her mother uh, was an Indian immigrant, an -hmm. academic. Her father also Jamaican immigrant academic. And uh, in an interview, for whatever reason, she made a joke referencing the stereotype of Jamaica and Jamaicans and relationship with cannabis and smoking. Mm. And dad got wind of that. From my perspective, as someone coming from the West Indies with Caribbean parents, dad's response was so, so predictable. So very predictable for a highly educated Mm. person of Caribbean heritage. Um, But dad dad pulled out his big words and <laughs> and dad had a moment yes. and and dad said my dear daughter essentially dad said dear daughter no this is not what we do this is not this is not our people <laughs> this is not how we roll and, yeah and uh it's like oh wow that happened and yeah. again from from my perspective being raised in a in a conservative traditional Caribbean household with West Indian parents. Yeah. His response was completely predictable and Mm -hmm. totally makes sense. Like, look, you do not go out and embarrass the family like that. Yeah. You do not go out, you know, when you leave the house, you conduct yourself with complete and utter dignity and respect for yourself. Absolutely. all of the family absolutely yeah and i'm like oh dear oh dear (laughs) um wow okay yeah it's it's a disgrace and you know it's not what people want to be defined by um so and Hmm. dad's like no no we are not that stereotype right we are not that stereotype daughter don't do that (laughs) don't do that again and you know the media is trying to like get him to do interviews and stuff. And he's like, no, I said what I needed to say. I'm done. Like, yeah. yeah. Totally predictable. Mm-hmm. Totally makes sense when you're aware of, of the culture that, right. that it, that, that, uh, you know, that, that, that he came out of. I mean, right. I, I know people like that. <laughs> I was raised by people like that. And at, I, I fully expect that, you know, at at some time, should I do anything that my parents consider rise to that level, mm-hmm. they would do the same thing to me. <laughs> well, it, it kind of goes back to, too, talking about the stereotypes. And, mm-hmm. and you might have had similar experiences where, you know, middle school people are like, why are you in, you know, these upper level classes? It's like, we don't we don't do that. Um, yeah. And it, it's ironic to me because my parents growing up in South Carolina, when it, when schools were integrated, they were allowed to go to the schools with white kids, but they weren't allowed to take honors classes. 
-hmm. not because they were inferior intellectually, but because nobody wanted them to rise up intellectually. And I just think like, wow, what, it's so foolish, I think, to not educate your children on the fact Mm -hmm. that we didn't have these opportunities before. So take them now, like whatever you can do, whatever you can learn, whatever you can be like, go after that because Mm -hmm. we didn't even have the chance to do it. Yeah. And looking back at American history, there was a reason that it had to be written into law that you could not teach mm-hmm. black people to read and write. Right. They did it for a reason. Right. Because when they read and when they wrote, <laughs> right. they caused all kinds of trouble. Exactly. The reason the laws were so restrictive was because people were like, yo, that's a dumb law. We're going to teach everybody to read and write. Anyway, mm, yeah, because everyone understood in at the height of the era of slavery in America, everyone understood how important it was mm-hmm. uh, for people of African descent to read and write and to yeah. do so at an academically rigorous level. Right. Because they were not reading Dick and Jane books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when they were when they were done, they mm-hmm. were not reading Dick and Jane. They were reading philosophy and ethics exactly. and politics, theology. Exactly. At the height of the slavery era in the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, okay, <laughs> whatever. Yep. <laughs> I got beat up. I got beat up for being like the weird smart kid at school. All mm-hmm. right. Whatever we we kind of we kind of got that one messed up and backwards for sure yeah so backwards yeah. so we should probably get around to wrapping this up <laughs> yeah we should you know we could keep going but <laughs> we could keep going but the kids would probably crash the party at some point like yeah. what are you my doing daughter will be mom? asking for yogurt in a minute so <laughs> and uh, yeah my my teenagers over here are like what I, I'm not gonna do anything mom so. <laughs> This, this was a great, great conversation. Yeah, sure. Thank you for, for being here and for making the time for this Absolutely, experiment. Anytime. What are we going to talk about next time? Who knows? We'll surprise knows? everyone. Who knows? We'll, we'll surprise you. Tune in and we, we'll, we'll have a surprise for you when we get together next time. Yes, for sure. And thank you, everyone, for joining us and listening in. Thanks. All right. Tune in next time for Idea Dynamo. Bye.